Hello, everyone, and welcome to Goddard in the World podcast. My name is Sam Rebeline. I'm your host, and I'm joined by your other host, the amazing, the incredible Amanda Faye Laxon. Amanda, Ooh. how are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. It's about, um, it's a little before noon, which for mm-hmm. me is peak caffeination time so yeah that this is almost i have like seven more minutes to drink coffee before i cut myself off for the day (laughs) (laughs) nice good for you but my coffee is very cold at this moment and probably not the thing i need to drink right before i'm recording (laughs) so all good so are you one of those people who like pours one cup of coffee and then like reheats it a couple of times in the microwave? Um, No, I usually I pour it and then I top it off with a still hot coffee, like because we just have like a drip sure. coffee. Yep, that's what um, I do. And then that's it. <laughs> you know? So yeah. like I'll drink about half of it, then top it off and then be done. Um, so nice. it's about one and a half cups uh, for me. For sure. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. We've got the um, like keto um, natural sweetener instead of oh. sugar, whatever that okay. is, like monk, monk fruit, whatever oh, it is. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, then some coconut milk. So I oh. dump a bunch of both of those into my first cup. Wow. Um, and then by, by like third cup, you know, it's it's a nice amount. The, the yeah. balance <laughs> evens out. Um, Amazing. <laughs> But um, so the third cup is really the one that I look forward to, um, <laughs> which I guess like I could change my like I change your system. <laughs> <laughs> but it does feel easy to just like you know, like you said, you empty half the cup, yeah, warm it up, you know, mm-hmm. go through your whole morning. That's that. so funny. I know people who at like diners or wherever, um, you know, they they do like a perfect proportion of milk and sugar um Mm -hmm. and so when someone you know when someone comes around to like refill they're like no (laughs) because it'll mess up their proportion i mean people like that probably shouldn't eat in diners um because it's not gonna be as like you know easy to control (laughs) yeah it's it's true diners you gotta be Open to uh, suggestion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> go um, with the flow. You're in a diner. Just yeah. chill the fuck out. <laughs> like... <laughs> well, speaking of uh, chill people, our guest today is uh, Christopher Younce. Um, mm-hmm. Chris is very nice, chill dude. I had a really mm-hmm. good time talking to him, and I'm mm-hmm. excited to share this interview with um, our with with you, dear yeah. listener. Dear listener. Um, <laughs> Dear um, listener. <laughs> sweet, sweet listener. Oh, um, what? Uh, how did Chris come to us? Because uh, I didn't know him before we talked to him. Um, yeah, and I also did not know him, but I believe, um, and I think we talk about this in the interview, I believe his mom, who has associations with Goddard, she knew Casey, who was our season one uh, podcast host, our co-host okay. and right. um, co-creator of of this dear listener, <laughs> Goddard in the this, World yeah. podcast. Um, yeah. So, so his mom knew Casey. And so I think that's why Chris reached out. Um, 
because he was publishing a book, the book that we are promoting and talking about uh, cognitive liberty. Um, Cognitive liberty. Yes. So um, he, that was born out of his uh, Goddard BA thesis. And um, we were supposed to have him uh, probably two years ago or a year and a half ago. Um, But publishing delays, uh, it was better to have him now uh, after the book was out. So, sure. yeah. So, and you're you're dealing with some of that scheduling right now, right, uh, Sam? Perfect segue into some plugs that we have for you, dear yeah. listener. Um, <laughs> We're really buttering up our listeners today. <laughs> <laughs> you look so nice today. Oh, uh, you are the what best. You- yeah, just incredible. You smell great. <laughs> oh, the, yeah, really. What is that? A new perfume? Or... Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, I. Um, my book is coming out as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Edenville will be released on October third. You know, mm-hmm. barring any uh, acts of the publishing gods. Um, but uh, it's a it's a small town cosmic horror novel filled with uh sentient sunflowers they like look at you and wave you know Um, and uh creepy professors it takes place on a creepy college campus Mm -hmm. um and uh um what else (laughs) uh like creepy old ladies Mm -hmm. um lots lots of like groups of like creepy different people creepy professors creepy old ladies um creepy people in robes Mm-hmm. Um, you know, religious cults. Um, Love it. So, if you like groups of people who, <laughs> as a collective, are unsettling, yes. then Edenville is the novel for you. Uh, right. You can pre-order it now through Amazon. Uh, the cover, like for the hardcover, isn't quite up yet. But if you click on the Kindle or the audiobook, you'll see the cover there. Mm-hmm. Um, nice big sunflower and. Um, you can also order through, um, I believe it's bookshop.com is mm. the site that allows you to order through a like a local bookstore of your choice. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's bookshop.org. And then, um, so no, it's okay. Uh, we're, we'll, we'll plug it because also Chris's book, he, he wants to plug um, bookshop.org. So we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, but you can support your local bookstore. Um, mm-hmm or whatever bookstore and indie bookstore um, through bookshop.org, which is very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, do that. uh, Do you have, do you have um, a bookshop that you would like to support? Um, Yeah, that's a great question. I Mm -hmm. really like Oblong books in, they have a location in Rhinebeck, New York and in Millbrook. Okay. I think. Uh, and Inquiring Minds is another one that I really like. They have a gorgeous location in Socrates with like a cafe and some couches Ooh. and stuff. Um, and I think they also have a location that's a bit smaller in mm-hmm. New Paltz, but no no less nice. Nice. Um, so, yeah, um, Inquiring Minds or Oblong Books. Um, awesome. Or, you know, whatever bookstore um, you like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's available for pre-order. Um, yeah. Edenville. And, yeah. Edenville. And I think that the pre-orders really help 
you as an author. <laughs> yes. Pre-orders are weighted the highest, I think. Okay. So like on the bestseller lists, every type of order has a different weight to it. Oh, okay. Um and I don't know any more specifics than that, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, ebooks have a certain weight to them. Yeah. Um, and so pre-orders are weighted like the, the heaviest. Nice. So if you're really trying to help someone be a bestseller, yeah. uh, then um, pre- pre-order the, the book. And, you know, we help you so much, dear listener. Why not <laughs> help us out a little bit? <laughs> um, yeah, so that's my plug. Um, nice. Amanda, do you have anything that you would like to plug? Sure. Um, so I am hosting a virtual salon um, for TLA Network members um, to participate in. Like, the TLA Network members can participate and like read and we're going to try to do it monthly. Uh, the first one will be at the end of April. And so um, we will have links in the show notes to sign up for that. Um, sign up for TLA if you're not already signed up um, because we, I am the membership and outreach co-chair and we're going to be bringing a lot of new fun stuff to the to the network uh for our members so cool yeah. uh we wanted to say a quick word about something uh unrelated to this this episode um this is just me and amanda saying this uh mm-hmm. our views and not chris's i mean i don't i don't know we haven't talked to chris about this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so like um but but this is uh i, I don't want to like loop him into this if he uh, disagrees or whatever. So this is just uh, Sam and Amanda saying mm-hmm. a little bit of solidarity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So if you if you go to um, the Goddard Alumni Association Instagram or Facebook, uh, we will link those in the show notes as we always <laughs> link everything in the show notes. Um, you will see there a call to action uh, to sign a solidarity petition. Um, the solidarity is for is with the staff union of Goddard College. Um, right now, they are in negotiations, but not um, because they have authorized a strike, um, and it may start as soon as tomorrow. I think uh, which would be Saturday. Uh, So by the time you're listening to this, the Goddard staff might be on strike. The reason that they're striking is, is many fold. Um, It's raises and labor and all of that uh, good stuff. And so uh, they voted unanimously to authorize the strike and a vote of no confidence uh, in Dan Hakoi. And, um, I signed the petition. I, the union, asked us uh, as the alumni association to circulate the petition and um, we have done so there are almost 400 signatures on the petition right now and that's just within less than a week yeah last time i looked they needed 17 more so yeah Yeah, to get to 400. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we just want to express our solidarity uh, with the staff because the staff is literally, (laughs) you know, for for all of us who attended the Vermont campus, uh, we got to fly in and out and come in and out. But the staff is there every single day. (laughs) And they're the glue that holds that that 
camp together. Yeah. And <laughs> I like, wanted to say campground and I was like, that's not <laughs> campus. <laughs> um, yeah. They they are. They're they're the ones who the, the facilities and uh, um uh, yeah, a, a bunch of staff members are on, are in this union, and so the fact that they are that they authorized a strike um, it means a lot to their own livelihoods, and so um, the alumni association, the alumni council, we just wanted to, um, and uh, I mean, really anyone connected with Goddard uh, can sign this petition, um, not even connected with Goddard, but who stand in solidarity with Goddard. And so, um, yeah, so uh, I urge you to keep abreast of what is going on there. Sign up for the newsletter, uh, the GoddardAlumni.com newsletter, uh, because uh, we send out monthly updates on on what we hear about what's going on with the college and then also what's going on with alumni because we care about what our projects are. Um, and um, yeah, that's, yeah, those are my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> all good thoughts, yeah. uh, all thoughts I support. So yeah, we just wanted to say a quick word about that because that's happening now and mm-hmm. um, felt like it behooved us to mention it um, mm-hmm. even as briefly as we just did so Mm -hmm. that is that anything else that we should say about that amanda um i don't think so um i think that's that's good um we the alumni uh newsletter that just went out um included a link to the press release from the from the goddard staff union um so it it that goes into more detail on what why they're striking and so yeah that's why i encourage people to to sign up um so that Mm -hmm. they can see that yep yep check it out for yourself um Mm -hmm. so you're not just taking our word for it Mm -hmm. but look at it um and uh think for yourself yeah that's why we encourage all the time (laughs) Critical so, yeah, thinking. <laughs> critical thinking, critical analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, analysis starts with a... Oh, this is going to be a horrible segue. <laughs> <laughs> analysis starts with an A. Uh, Bumblebee starts with a B. Um, and uh, in this episode with Chris, we talk about bumblebees. And, um, <laughs> wow. That was super smooth. <laughs> oh, can you tell that over the course of that last, uh, over the course of this intro, we have hit peak caffeination and yeah. begun to, uh, to descend down. Yeah. 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 Um, so uh what's happening (laughs) (laughs) i know it's sort of like the sun is coming out too and it is it's here too we're like okay time to go outside (laughs) okay outside time yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, the the last thing that i'm gonna say um we talk about the hudson valley food and wine festival in this episode Mm. and Mm -hmm. uh i have never been and so you were mentioning all these little towns that i believe are probably part of the hudson valley where the bookstores Mm -hmm. are so um maybe i'll try to come up and we can 
go together and please do, do. That. uh that we'll do lunch somewhere fun. when it gets like nice and warm come up we'll do a farmer's market we'll have lunch outside like maybe in Asopus. it's a really nice cute little town cool um i'll show you the oblongs um or at least one of them they're sort of a far apart drive um, <laughs> okay. uh, um yeah that would be super fun yeah I believe it's in September, so yeah, we can. Okay, we'll talk about that then. So maybe we'll do. Maybe we'll. Maybe we'll record our September episode (gasps) there. Oh my gosh, you're invited, sweet listener. Yeah, (laughs) we'll do a live from Hudson Valley. (laughs) That'd be fun. Such a treat. Awesome. Um, well, in the meantime, um, thanks for listening. Um, and here is our interview with Chris Younts. Please enjoy. Chris Younts has been a human services provider since 2012. He received a bachelor's degree from Goddard College in Plainfield, Vermont, for his thesis work on evolutionary theory. He is a service coordinator for developmental disability services in Vermont, helping adults with autism spectrum disorder and intellectual disabilities build their quality of life through home and community-based inclusion initiatives. He is a member of the Vermont Communication Task Force, the Vermont Statewide Independent Living Council, and the Vermont Beekeepers Association. He is the chair of the Statewide Independent Living Council's Healthcare Committee. As a driven athlete and disciplined cook, Chris has developed a prolific nature that supports his growth as a proud homesteader, beekeeper, and fermenter. He is the author of the book Cognitive Liberty, which captures the evolution of consciousness within a social and ecological context, showing us how our mental health is deeply connected to our biology, ecology, and spiritual creativity as a way of reclaiming our human birthright to think for ourselves to choose our thoughts and thus our way of being in the world wisely. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm so excited to meet you and talk to you today. So your bio clearly has a strong attachment to the land and specifically Vermont. Um, So can you talk about an early experience you had connecting with the earth? Mm. Well, my way in was... um, mostly through just regular gardening um Mm. just being able to manage my time around just having a garden and keeping staying busy trying to just grow tomato plants oftentimes actually with uh me and my my girlfriend at the time wife now but Mm. uh we had a apartment on a second story and so we were surrounded by mostly stairs and uh you know just kind of our deck off of our deck we we the only way to really grow anything was to hang it from the 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 mm. rafters so it was yeah trying to stay connected to the soil as much as we could but at the same time yeah with whatever space we had we had to kind of work with that so that was one of the early earlier 
moments. But nice. Did you, did you did you grow up in Vermont? Was all of this in Vermont? I did not actually. I grew okay. up in Ohio. Oh, okay. <laughs> of all places, yeah. Oh. Big oh. flatlander. <laughs> Where in Ohio? Oxford. Oxford okay, Ohio. I. When I was about five to eight, I lived in a big suburb outside of Cincinnati. Mm. Um, and it's it's funny when I moved to New York when I was eight, I felt a strong connection to the land and the woods because I like didn't quite know what woods were, <laughs> so they seemed very magical to me. Um, and so I imagine, like, did you have a similar experience like that where you're just like, oh my god, there's less concrete, you know? <laughs> Yeah, we had actually, our house was on 10 acres. Um, and so we were more on the countryside, oh like okay. just, I think, like three miles right outside of Oxford, um, which was Miami University of Ohio's campus. And oh, okay. um, yeah, have <laughs> fond and not so fond memories of, of Oxford, but um, that's a different story. But yeah, it was, <laughs> it was mostly countryside and, mm -hmm. you know, the urban, it was kind of that, that kind of that combination for sure, because um, the school district was pretty widespread and mm -hmm. surrounding us were, you know, cornfields and um, just right around the corner was was Indiana. And so there was a lot of that countryside kind of scenery for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And But when you say we, is that just you and your parents or did you have siblings as well? Yeah, I have uh, two brothers and two sisters and um, oh, gosh. one brother oh. and one sister of which we adopt, uh, my family adopted oh, cool. when I was, uh, yeah, when I was 12. And then when I was 13, we adopted. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Did you, did you or your parents garden when you were a kid in Ohio? No, that's the funny thing. Yeah, my my affinity for the natural world really didn't pick up until I met my wife. Oh, um, cool. yeah. Yeah. I was pretty uh, naive and <laughs> kind of just in my own world, just like kind of most of us out living in city life and suburban life, um, trying to just make ends meet and do our own thing and find our own way. Looking back, I very much wish I had that 10 acres, you know, <laughs> to right. do what I wanted, you know, to yeah. go plant some trees and grow some stuff for sure. So uh, what's what's her deal? How did your wife uh, sort of open your, uh, I was going to say, open oh, your right. eyes and heart, yeah. but that sounds sort of <laughs> yeah. like, you know. Um, but but uh, where, what was her story that sort of opened your life to uh, having that passion for Earth as well? Yeah, she, uh, she grew up in New Jersey, so she has a similar um, kind of, had that exposure to the suburban life. Um, but her family was really well connected with just that natural sense of like, you know, they would do what they could to all, you know, for, uh, health reasons, like try to eat healthy and try to, you know, try to grow stuff. And they, um, so I think that was really just embedded into her like awareness early on. And so by the time that we got here, she loves, I mean, just, I talked about growing tomatoes off of our <laughs> our deck. She that was really her initiative was taking that because she just loves loves the fruit of tomatoes itself. Mm -hmm. So that was that was one way in. And then another was also going to. Um, she had this um, tradition, this annual tradition of going to uh, the Hudson Valley Wine and Food Festival. Mm -hmm. Oh, and, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so she introduced me to that, and that like really opened my eyes to. Mm -hmm. um, 
to just that world of of good food and good wine. For sure. I mean, Jersey has amazing tomatoes and other produce. Like when I go to the farmer's market, so I'm in New York City, I'm in East Harlem, but uh, I will go to the farmer's market in Union Square once a week, usually. And uh, there's multiple farms from Jersey that, that come in that I buy stuff from. And when I, when I put up tomatoes for the, like, crushed tomatoes um which is coming up (laughs) i bought a new canning pot and so you know i have my jars ready and all of that but um yeah usually like we've been me and my husband have been doing that for several years i think and um probably since i left goddard so i don't know like 10 years (laughs) can it be 10 years already oh my god um we'll get like a you know 30 pound box of the uh, San Marzano tomatoes, and they're usually oh from gosh. Jersey. That that's just like where they come from. So yeah, yeah. It's I can imagine. Where in Jersey did she grow up? Uh, Randolph. Uh, I don't. Uh, Jersey Mor- is so Morris big. County. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Morris <laughs> County specifically. Um, oh, not far. Heard. Not far from Chester. Like okay. right up the road from Chester. And along that stretch, actually, there's a lot of really nice farm markets that yeah. I've always I've always enjoyed to visit. Nice. Yeah. I don't th- I've never been to the Hudson Valley Food and Wine what? Festival. Oh, no. Oh, to, to Hudson, I have been to Hudson Valley, but not a ton. Um although a friend <laughs> she kidnapped me once and uh because she bought um an antique chair in hudson and she's uh, she texted and she was like hey will you come with me to go pick it up and i said sure but i thought she just meant hudson valley which stretches like right Mm -hmm. but i didn't know we were going all the way to hudson (laughs) i like looked at the gps i'm like whoa three hours like um, Hudson's a very cool town though I mean I'm from I'm in I'm not from I guess but I'm in Poughkeepsie and uh so I have a lot of Hudson Valley pride you know I just spent uh about a year in Texas and Mm -hmm. it was hard to get organic food there and coming back here I was like oh my gosh now these are tomatoes you know right what else? I think lettuce was another big one because you're mm. sort of in the middle of a, what feels like a food desert, you know. Oh uh, man, in Lubbock. But um, so I, I'm happy to be uh, around so many farms and organic foods and stuff like that again. But yeah, so I can appreciate that. That's awesome, <laughs> Chris. You mentioned uh, Miami University. Did your family have a connection there? At first, I think my mom, when we first moved there, my mom wanted to start um, going back to school to continue her uh, education journey. She has all sorts of degrees that she just loves to go here and there. Uh, okay. One thing that led her to Goddard later on, but um, and we'll talk about that. But uh, yeah, no, it was originally that was the case, I believe. Um, I was, I think, like seven at the time. So it was kind of kind of a vague transition for me looking back. Um, new school, new town. Yeah, that was really it. Um, we moved uh, from the Cincinnati area. Okay. Um, yeah. And we only spent maybe like 
maybe a year, if that, in oh, Cincinnati. Man. Yeah, we were taking care of my my grandfather who was uh, passing away as long as uh, as far uh, as well as um, my grandmother. So that was kind of our transition. We we were living in Michigan before that. Oh. So yeah, it was Ann Arbor and oh, okay. Yeah, and also then, college town. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. In fact, that's where she uh, got another one of her degrees. Uh, she oh. went, to, went to law school at, at the University of Michigan. So, wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. That's. <laughs> she yeah, went to law school and then she was going to continue her education. <laughs> yeah. It turned out she didn't like, she didn't want to be a lawyer. So mm-hmm. she changed gears. But so, yeah, you're a Midwesterner uh, through and through, kind of, right? Kind of. Yeah. In your for childhood, sure. at least. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I've always thought about going back to visit because I hear it's just Oxford itself is super developed compared to mm. what I remember. Um, and of course, it's a whole different world now. There's not the uh, the video gallery that you just go and spend hours just looking at movies and figuring out which one to buy or rent or. Oh, sure. Yeah. Now like blockbuster Netflix. for other people. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, no more of that, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Different so world. Funny. Well, so your uh, mother has had such a, a vast educational journey. And so I imagine that uh, learning and education is probably something that y'all talked about in your house at, at least a little, right? I'm, so I'm wondering if you have a story from your growing up where you first realized you learned differently. Because in Cognitive Liberty, you talk about examples of your own experience as a person with a learning disability and just hearing you talk about your mom's experiences with education i'm curious if that was if there were conversations you had growing up about learning and maybe if you have a story where you did first realize like oh i learn a little bit differently Mm. yeah quite a few of them actually um but uh one major one that stands out for me is my mom um she always enjoyed running um kind of like learning groups outside of school, like after school or summer school type, not really summer school, but like um, kind of just small oriented um, art workshops. We had a studio that we ended up actually building right next to our, um, the main dwelling of our home on that 10 acre property and um, lots of memories there. There was always certain kids that would kind of engage in the group stuff, but then not really wouldn't really feel right to them. So then they would just kind of like segregate themselves in the corner or whatever. But um, anyhow, it, um, those, yeah, not so many conversations around learning differences per se, but just different examples of like noticing like, Oh, they are, or that person, you know, this style of this learning environment doesn't jive for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's, um, just those little things that you pick up. And I actually attended a private school in, um, uh, <laughs> in Oxford um, called McGuffey. And that was kind of interesting in that it was more hands-on than the traditional oh, cool. public school. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of helped kind of temper those, like that immediate kind of stand out like a sore thumb mm. moment because every student had something that Mm. was unique to them and we just all were able to kind of get along together whether it was you know on the playground or you know just in the classical school setting um Mm. so there was that kind of 
awareness and friendships had always kind of kind of guided me through those those moments for sure um so no specific conversations around learning differences but definitely noticeable examples how did the hands-on learning experience help you learn uh i mean what did it did it help you learn and how how did it help you yeah, I think as a kid, you just, you don't really realize it, but mm -hmm. looking back, it helped just kind of like stay connected in what you were doing. Mm -hmm. um, and just to kind of have that in, when you have good teachers, it's always great. Like a good teacher that will inspire or um, kind of make a connection that you never really thought mm -hmm. you would made, make before. Like our science teacher, I remember, um, just yeah embarrassingly forgetting her name at the moment but she was great she was okay. great she would she would do like these experiments where it was just purely like you would see the difference in terms of you wouldn't just be reading out of a textbook mm -hmm. and and taking a test you would actually have to like go you know get some get some substrate or some material put it in a two uh two liter you know soda empty soda bottle cut off the top and like start start uh layering you know stuff in there and i remember one one experiment we did was like the dangers of smoking and so okay. you take you, you you take the uh you kind of uh you make like uh, an incision on the top you put the cigarette in you light it you just squeeze it a bunch to to get it going right and then you see kind of how all that uh that ash and resin or residue kind of build up around the edges and it was like whoa that's she was like that's your lung <laughs> so that's very visceral <laughs> yeah 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 so that i remember quite a bit and just being fascinated by the process so i think that like just kind of that immediate engagement really helped for sure mm. with the hands-on stuff that's awesome. I mean, yeah. especially you were what, like seven or eight, you said around that time. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great because like, it's, I mean, I, so I just had a baby in January and, um, congratulations. Just, thank you. <laughs> um, it's amazing how much he, takes in and you know how curious he is to to learn and touch and m mouth <laughs> like right now um it surprises me that education ever felt like oh we you know let's sit children down in chairs and make them be quiet because <laughs> like, um and and talk a lot of stuff at them because it's like that's not how kids learn. <laughs> like that's not how most people experience the world or right. mm. you know, retain information. But like this, you know, the the cigarette thing, like you saw that at like age 8 or whatever and you still remember it now and you know, I I think that's that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, exactly. So your mom, um I so we originally scheduled you, was it season one or season two? I, I don't remember, mm -hmm. but um, you, Casey Corona, who was the co-host on season one, I think he took 
courses with your mom in Goddard? Is that- <laughs> so, so can you talk to us about like your mom's connection to Goddard and then subsequently your connection and how, like how you all got there? Yeah, yeah. You said before we started recording that this was a long story. So I expect yeah. so a, an let's, epic saga. Let's go. I'm going yeah. re- to relax and sit back. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to hear no problem. Um, I'll try to be as concise as I can for sure because it, it's, it's a lot of it's a, it's a windy <laughs> road. But uh, yeah, uh, it, so going from McGuffey, which was that private school I mentioned, seven or eight, went there till about ten. Fast forward, I'm in high school, traditional setting. It uh, you know, and you're prepping for the SATs. You're you're doing all those things. Just that you know just rigid um, kind of schematic uh, process of, you know, test taking and all that. But um, my mom, she, when I was about 13, so shortly after we had just adopted my siblings, um, Mm -hmm. she had to renew her teaching license. Okay. And uh, she discovered this place out in Vermont where she could go there. It was a low residential, so she didn't have to be there year round. So she could come back and do her usual thing. And it just fit brilliantly well with her, her time management, her ability to follow, you know, do all that. Um, And it was Goddard. It was this place, you know, where you could design your curriculum. You could, you know, you had the freedom and the free will to, you know, to do it and she uh took us up initially we went um and it was like it immediately clicked for her and of course as a kid at the time i have no idea i mean i'm just kind of at the at the time it was actually rather empty like the campus was mm-hmm. kind of you know um but I, I remember meeting some really amazing people me and my brother and um yeah being that young and having my world open up in that way um was like wow this is a really amazing place like what is that and she she renewed her teaching license through that by the time i was 16 she was still very much in touch with goddard she was like oh there's no way i'm i'm you know not going back and so she was planning on going back in some capacity mm-hmm. um along the way of kind of studying for the SATs on my end for me studying and trying to, you know, figure out what I'm going to do after high school, whether it's college or some, some job or, or whatever, I ended up actually discovering a film, uh, you know, created by like some silly, uh, I forget, not silly, but like it was, a. uh, it was one of those films with like Justin Long and Jonah Hill, uh, super early on this was like 2004 2005 and uh it was the movie was called accepted i remember accepted yeah 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 so it it was all about yeah not to spoil it for anyone who's listening but (laughs) it was it was amazing (laughs) because it by the end of the film my mom she watched it with me and she was like oh my god that's goddard and i was like no way Hmm. that's got like that just because there was there was this amazing um this sort of scene at the end that uh really drove it home for me because it all had to do with how we as individuals have something to offer and we don't have to kind of try and cram ourselves into a box 
just to meet, you know, the societal demand. Like we can kind of get behind the wheel ourselves and actually, actually do it. Really amazing, inspiring speech that Justin Long made in that film that I think was kind of, in a way, uh, underrated in terms of like, you know, what's out there um, film wise. But nevertheless, uh, that really inspired me and made me more pay more closer attention to what Goddard actually was. Because uh, as a kid, I was just like, oh, I, this place is great. It's like a vacation. You know, we get to go and meet all these amazing people and go, go play with them or whatever. But now it was like, it was like the real deal. This was serious now. So I kind of knew with under, you know, with a certain amount of uh, uncertainty that I was going to go to Goddard someday. Okay. Um, hmm. Didn't really know when or, or even in what capacity. Um, but I knew it was going to be someday. Um, but going back to my mom, she, uh, she actually, our family kind of hit a rough patch and she ended up having to make kind of a pretty significant decision of whether to stick around or just take the initiative to follow her heart and go with what she knew was going to be right for herself and her kids future. Mm -hmm. And she decided to actually go and attend her MFA program while simultaneously teach there. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's how that worked out for her. And so that really, I think even if she didn't do that, I still would have gone to Goddard, but I definitely wouldn't have had the kind of sort of third legged stool so to speak, in place by the time that I really truly was ready to attend Goddard if she hadn't gone there. What did she get her MFA in? I believe it was, well, yeah, she, she, she ended up actually writing a book similar to kind of how I integrated my, my studies as well with, mm -hmm. with kind of taking on this huge project, but she wrote a book called manifestation of self and place okay. um, and that was inspired by her journey moving to vermont and so she she got it in her mfa was mostly in like integrating her her painting and art with kind of what what about vermont itself resonated with her and there's a quite a bit of examples also of her like personal life that uh, kind of coincided with with that story itself. Um, so it was, it was that manifestation of art and play of, of self in place that uh, she focused on. Yeah. Uh, so when were you ready to go to Goddard? Was it immediately after high school or what actually like spurred you over there? I, it wasn't right after high school. Okay. It was, I took some time. I actually graduated early because that, the sort of the fact, well, along the way when, right when that happened, it was like, whoa, now here I am with just, it's just me and my dad. I'm focusing on trying to get, you know, my high school diploma and stay in touch with friends because friends were already starting to migrate all sort to all sorts of places. Mm -hmm. Some went to like Myrtle Beach and Hawaii and British wow. Columbia and all that. So like I have friends that are leaving here. There's my mom that's gone and all that. And so it's like, whoa, okay. Um, I started actually working in uh, the restaurant industry in the back mm -hmm. of the house, just kind mm -hmm. of working my way up the ladder, starting with like just the, <laughs> the, 
endless charade of being a, a dishwasher and yeah. you know <laughs> Friday night, Saturday night, you know, shift of you know trying to get through those. Uh, mm-hmm. But anyway, did that for let's see, it's like two and a half years or so, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah, I got my, I ended up graduating early just because I didn't take any study halls. I had enough credits to just be like, see you later. I'm I'm going to go <laughs> go wash dishes for a while right. and figure some things <laughs> out, sure. um, basically. Yeah, and I actually, my dad was um, kind of a pilot uh, recreationally. Um, he didn't like fly people for, you know, as a part-time job or anything. He just... He had a plane. He loved flying. My grandfather was a pilot. His, my grandfather's brother was a pilot, um, and so he actually flew me to Grand Rapids, Michigan, to go stay with a buddy who one of my friends who had actually who was part of that migration movement <laughs> uh, moved to Grand Rapids to go stay with his uh, his mom there, and so I actually lived with him and his mom for a while, just under a year actually, not super long until I was, I've realized like kind of, again, kind of questioning what I'm doing, continue. Same thing I was doing back in Oxford, just in a different place. Uh, this nocturnal, uh, lifestyle of, Mm -hmm. you know, going to bed at like 5.00 AM, getting up around three, going back to work and doing the same thing over again, which was great. I mean, I'm, I, those are some really cherished experiences, but it, it was pretty evident right from the get go that it wasn't really going anywhere. And so sure. I had to, I had to make some kind of a move, and it was either I either keep doing that and uh, see where it goes. Maybe I get promoted. Maybe whatever. Right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of what ifs, but or I could just take the bull by the horns and just thrust myself into the Goddard College environment and see where that goes. And mm-hmm. I chose I chose the latter. Okay, great. Yeah. Cool. Um, talking about uh, jobs that don't really go anywhere. I mean, you must have that sort of inner compass or whatever that guides you. And that makes me think of um, the connection you were sort of talking about between mental health and spiritual creativity. And so I'm curious if you could share more of your thoughts on what that term spiritual creativity means and uh, maybe how that guided you to and through Goddard. Mm. I know that's yeah. a big question, but yeah, that's okay. Um, I like it. Um, yeah, spiritual creativity. I use that term in the context of like how we orient our consciousness in the world. I know for some people that spiritual anything has some kind of a religious connotation to it, or it you know has to do with their their faith and a deeper uh, reality or resonance beyond the visible. Um, any of those are good gateways into thinking in some capacity of whatever magic that we either believe in within ourselves or in the world, that it's there. We may not be able to understand it or, um, in some cases tap into it all the time, but it's there. And, um, I see it it naturally has a creative aspect to it. So in some ways it's kind of like a, (laughs) um, it's kind of a redundant statement. I realize, like <laughs> spiritual creativity, they're kind of one in the same in mm-hmm. in some respects. So it's it's um, I kind of I like to refer to it as um, 
we're beings that are process processes rather than like things that you know are these like linear um kind of mechanistic things in the world that um just go through life and it's one thing after another and you are who you know whatever you did before which we are to some degree for sure but in reality we are present experience and so we we bring our past with us but at the same time every opportunity is a chance to recreate or reassess or um kind of find a new way to engage or see the world so spiritual creativity to me is kind of that that uh kind of that void of where kind of nothing meets everything all at once except Mm -hmm. yeah except we have you know some kind of tools or techniques that got us to where we're at right now um so it's a way of kind of embracing the unknown in some respects, similar to kind of the plunge that I took going into Goddard. I didn't realize that's that's what I was doing. In fact, I didn't even know what the heck I was going to even study. I just knew that that was what I, what I had to do to get out of this rut. Mm-hmm. Um, so just kind of going with it. Yeah. You, you dedicated the book, Cognitive Liberty, to Goddard. So, mm-hmm. And um, I know it came out of your, your work that you did there with evolutionary theory. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And so how did you, how did your study get shaped? Um, and then how did it, uh, like how, how did, how did the, the ideas and all of that um, come, come into being or like spark for you at Goddard? And then how has it uh, shifted since, you know, since you left Goddard and started writing the book? Yeah. Uh, I changed my major or mm-hmm. quote unquote, whatever a major would be, right? I got it. Yeah. My, my focus. Right. I changed my focus yeah. about six times. Uh-huh. So for all you folks, students listening out there, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you don't know, because mm-hmm. that's part of the journey. Um, I went from film, yeah. studying film to the psychology of sports or Zen of sports to kind of strictly art-based drawing, um, realism, et cetera, Buddhism. And then, of course, PR2 came. PR2? <laughs> for, for folks, yeah, for folks who, uh, um, who aren't aware, as, as an undergrad, we have these progress reviews that we have, uh, to, okay. have to tend to, the dreadful PR portfolios, um, right. which is, you know, it's all part of, again, it's all part of the journey. Uh, mm-hmm. For sure. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, getting the math requirements, getting all those other things that like, you know, you, you're so, um, so excited to just get into what you what it is you want to do. And yet there are these core requirements that right. any college will ask that you tend to. And so coming from that, I wish I kind of addressed the math earlier on coming from that traditional setting into kind of the non-traditional setting, because I, I really dove in head first in the non and embraced the non-traditional aspect of what Goddard is, and then did my math. So then it was like coming out of the, you know, getting my head out of the clouds and realizing like, geez, like, what am I going to do to get my math? So I struggled get it, trying to get it. I spent about two semesters trying to get it. And that was when I worked with Newcomb Greenleaf, which for those of you who don't know Newcomb, he's um, an incredible 
advisor. He has a background from Naropa, so he has a lot of his uh, passions um, revolved around like the Shambhala tradition and Buddhism. And yeah, yeah, just a really kind of an amazing spiritual person to be around and learn from. And it was it was exhausting and difficult to kind of swallow some of the things that he had to provide for me. And so that was part of that evolution of my studies that ultimately ended up, I ended up um, exploring uh, Terrence McKenna's ideas, which for those of you who don't know, uh, Terrence McKenna was a, uh, a psychonaut, a bard who um, hmm. kind of explored scientific principles, but at heart, he was a poet who, or, and a philosopher who sort of, he had a lot of interesting theories that were out there, but one of the major ones that really stood out to me was the stone ape hypothesis. Um, and that essentially postulated or tried to speculate the possibility of the evolution of consciousness somehow being connected to psychedelic mushrooms from our deep past and how how language and how our our ability to conceptualize and um, have advanced uh, uh, cognition uh, came from. So, so it's a space that I really enjoyed to be in and just kind of imagining how that occurred because I had my own uh, experience with psychedelics from years past and I continued yeah. to explore that um, kind of using that scientific method or try to. Um, of course, it's all anecdote, anecdotally, of course, but um, it all means something. It's all there for sure. It's just a matter of how can we translate this on paper to you know, so that it's accessible enough. But I really became intrigued by Terence McKenna's work. And I essentially based my thesis off of some of that. And so I became extremely fascinated with the evolution of human consciousness from there. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, my original uh, senior study wasn't called uh, what the book is now today. It was something totally elaborate and long-winded you know just like similar to a dissertation out of a phd program it was it was something it, i can't even remember what it was offhand it was just so out there but uh but that's what grounded it that's what well that's what started it mm -hmm. essentially it's funny that you say that because i was curious about uh sort of the structure of your book I and mean, you said earlier and it might have been before we were recording too but uh, you said that the book starts very dense and then loosens up a bit as it goes. Was that intentional or how did that structure of your work sort of come about? Mm. Yeah, it's dense in the sense that it tries to tackle kind of the psychology, the neurology, and then that using that as the gateway into the biology of who we are and what we're doing. And then using that, is a gateway into the ecology of who we are and what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I use that, I, I kind of described it in that way because it, it does, it kind of has this really slow uh, takeoff and it starts from just kind of reflecting on our, you know, who we are as individuals and as a species and what we're actually doing. And I um, just, in fact, a semester before I started really diving into Terrence McKenna's ideas I became really fascinated in trying to figure out like what um, autism spectrum disorder is. And so 
because I have my my one of my siblings um, was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. Okay. And the more I looked at that, in fact, she was misdiagnosed a number of times before they finally figured out what was going on. Um, yeah. And I looked at kind of that as like a, a interesting lens to see the world through because at least at face or my first impression with my experience, my very naive experiences with autism from early on was, um, oh, geez, I might have autism. Like, I, I think I think I might actually have undiagnosed like autistic traits or something and or something's going on because it had to do with kind of this sense of like we have this like there's this autopilot that takes over. For so many of us and mm. we don't realize that it, what we're doing is actually adverse to what it is we truly want or need in this world and so i saw that kind of within myself initially and then i, I backed up and looked out and I'm like wait a minute it's not just me it's so many so many other people not just who i've talked to but just by like recognizing like you know just how we operate as, you know, the buzz of our swarms and our, in our cities and our, you know, um, states and our nations just, we're kind of like chasing these almost false promises that we forget that, uh, you know, there are certain basic, uh, needs that require our, that warrant our attention. And to me, it takes a lot of work to kind of back up and reassess and, sort of reground and simplify um, sort of this overly complex uh, technological uh, societal advances that we have is kind of like drifting us further and further away from what truly matters, um, which we all can, we all can answer that question for ourselves in our own way. Right. But most of the time that's, you know, family, you know, food, positive experiences. So often we get wrapped up in negativity and all those things that very rarely will question. And I'm speaking very generally, of course, but we'll question like uh, rarely we will uh, question, uh, is this thing really good for me? And uh, like, what is it about this thing that I'm doing that could have a negative effect? Um, and realize that we're choosing to engage in it, maybe not consciously, but somewhere deep down, we have chosen to be triggered by this or feed into this. I mean, you see the political divides out there that we don't really need to talk about because there's so much of it. But um, so all those are pretty obvious examples, easy targets. But we'll, we'll let that go for now. But, uh, <laughs> well, and they talk about that in like 12 step groups as well, that like you are making a choice, whether mm. it's conscious or not, and through recognizing that certain behaviors are choices that in and of itself is a huge step for a lot of people um, mm -hmm. towards being more spiritually in tune or uh, sort of shifting their personalities and egos closer to what, you know, they're meant to be activated as, you know, things like that. And mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people have been sort of shifting some of that thinking during the pandemic you know we're all turning inward a bit like <laughs> there's less to do so you're staring at like what you're cooking more and thinking about things mm -hmm. or whatever um so i'm curious how your thinking um 
about all this has sort of evolved or shifted since the pandemic started? Like, have you had time to sort of turn more inward and think about these things for yourself or how has that shifted? Yeah, and definitely plays into Amanda's earlier question too, as a follow-up of how this project has evolved after Goddard and in with what you just said since the pandemic. Um, it was really interesting. So maybe I should back up just to kind of set the stage for this one, because in doing my work, I um, my work with Goddard and I graduated from Goddard in the fall of 2013. Since then, I kind of put the project away. It was like, oh, cool. I got the degree from it. Done deal. Awesome. Now I'm going to go focus on, you know, making a living in whatever means I could. And so I got into social work and um, I was a behavior interventionist um, in the school system, working one-on-one with students with IEPs or 504s and uh, in the special education student services uh, programs and stuff. through a mental health services agency. So um, learned a lot, learned much more than I ever could have um, in just reading books and even observing just my own little, you know, small experiences in my little world with, with autism itself. There's all these different examples of it when you get it again, that hands-on, you know, mentality. Um, But I put the project aside during that time. I didn't continue to, keep unpacking these ideas i kind of let it be for a while for years actually and and i just kind of let all these experiences sort of stew and develop and i ended up taking a job with the work that i'm doing currently now in developmental disability services as a case manager and so i work with adults now but since then i my career was evolving in that direction um I picked up the research, but through like an economic lens Um, instead, just kind of to kind of blend the ecology and um, sociological uh, aspects of what these principles that I explore throughout the book are. And essentially, uh, literally hit a brick wall. Uh, I had a head injury in a hockey game. Yeah in 2019 and that was September of 2019. So it was really interesting, the sequence of events. So my career is advancing, I'm learning all this stuff, I'm diving deeper and deeper and then bam, just, I realized, I I knew the moment it happened in the game that something was off. And Mm. so I ended up um, taking a leave of absence from work to heal and rehabilitate. So I did some OT, PT, Uh, exercises with um, local providers and stuff. But um, it was actually that moment where I wanted to pick the, pick the project back up and start Hmm. basically from scratch, but taking all this research and applying it. And then the pandemic hit and it was like, Whoa, like what is going on here? And um, that made me just want to finish it that much more because it made me realize that these ideas are so incredibly important for us Mm -hmm. as people Um, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert the social isolation was a huge shakeup, and i think the fact that it was a global event there was a lot of good that came out of it at least i would like to think so i mean there was it was a terrible moment people were you know 
dying and there was all this controversy about, you know, is it a conspiracy? Is it what's going on? Like, you know, it was just you didn't really know what to what to think. All you could do, which was like the perfect moment to be like, what's in my backyard? Mm-hmm. Oh, what do I want to do with my backyard? Oh, I want to put some beehives on that in that little space back there. <laughs> it literally like I should show you guys some pictures of what this looked like. It was just a heap yeah. of, of trees that we had cut lumber that we had cut off the property, just rotting in that corner. And I went to town in that one little spot and mm-hmm. set up a apiary. And now I have chickens in that space as well, where you know, right wow. in the front is like, yeah, very calculated about how I laid it out. I got the, the chickens and the bees that will be under shade by one o'clock. Okay. So it's under under this tree that's like wow. only only will you know provide shade in the summer, obviously when the when the foliage is thriving um, at that specific time, and then in the front, more towards the kind of the forefront of the property is the garden and mm-hmm. all those things, and you know, planting more apple trees in the backyard, and it's just I mean you could barely have a soccer game back there, so it's mm-hmm. like not very much space uh, to do much with. So it's like, all right, what can I do? So I started exploring how to grow, you know, gourmet mushrooms because you can like stack those, like the logs, for example, you know, growing up versus out, um, things like that. Just And then just getting more involved with cooking, Mm -hmm. uh, fermentation, lots of fermentation projects. I could probably go on and on with that. Um, (laughs) But I love this question because it really did make me reflect on what it is I was doing and what it is I really wanted to be doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And I felt like, especially, you know, for me, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, there was some comfort in knowing that literally everybody else was doing exactly the same thing. Mm. You know, they're that sort of feeling of like, oh, I should be doing something else or, oh, I should really get out of the house or whatever. All of that washes away. And so you're mm. like, oh, gosh, what old movies can I rewatch? And like, mm. What can I like figure out how to cook that I've never done before? You know, I was like making my own hot sauce and mm. shit like that. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like you, th- you talk about, um, in in the preface of your of your book, you talk about noticing. Uh, I'm going to quote a strange correlation between autism spectrum disorder and modern culture, using the examples of zoning out while browsing Facebook or in the shower or washing dishes. Um, and it made me think of, and you were mentioning about Buddhism earlier. It made me think of one of my like formative books from when I was like a teenager. Um, <laughs> Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's Miracle of Mindfulness, mm. um, where he talks about bringing mindfulness to the, these like everyday chores, like washing dishes or showering or whatever. Um, so it's like uh, just like a shift in the consciousness, right? Like you can still be doing, you still can be and have to do. Maybe not Facebook, but like, but like you can do chores, but still bring mindfulness and consciousness um and so you know talking about the pandemic allowing you to slow down and look at your uh backyard and and see an apiary and see Hmm. like the chicken coop and um make that a reality like those feel like ways of practicing consciousness um that like 
you know, in your everyday. Are there other ways that you have intentionally cultivated consciousness in your everyday? Mm. Yeah. And that is so true. Just with what you say, as far as like, you can use, you can either use your mind or you can like shut it off Mm -hmm. and just let things happen. And you're just kind of going through the motions versus, yeah, really paying attention, paying attention to washing the dishes, paying attention to what your Facebook feed is telling you. Am I spending too much time on this? What have you? Yeah, no, I have, um, I always have a lot of projects going on. Actually today we'll be, I'll be going uh, just um, up the road to go to an orchard and harvest some apples and we'll be mm-hmm. pressing some cider tomorrow. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. And um, yeah, just, I think just in general, like how I'm using my time, like time management has been a big one. And realizing that time is really the real asset here. Mm -hmm. Like, am I really cherishing this moment with my wife and our cat? Or are we, you know, am I just on our, my device, just, you know, (laughs) disengaged completely? Um, You know, those are very real uh, moments where I have to kind of check myself. Yeah. And I think the fluidity of having so many different things going um, where like, I, you know, I make kombucha, I, you know, I have to bottle that at a very specific moment because otherwise the pH gets way too low and it just turns into vinegar. So it's like, I have this, I have these deadlines that I have to tend to and make sure that I'm paying attention to those things like the calendar and so forth. Cause time just fly. I can't even believe we're what we're in. September. September, oh I know. So it's I like, know. yeah, just um, moments like that that really kind of help me stay on track. Because um, mm-hmm. if I don't have that, then yeah, it's kind of like a free floating thing that I re- then I have to really work to pay closer attention to um, putting some of these things to use. Um, I was just outside the other day and noticed like, oh, we didn't have much rain here, and I just planted a bunch of seeds. I better go get the hose out and, you know, get to it basically, which takes like five minutes. It's like, but that moment of being able to like really check back in, you know, I'm not just planting seeds and being like, yep, Hmm. I'm going to walk away now. No, you you really do have to pay, pay attention. Sometimes you can let it, let nature take its full course, but Mm -hmm. most of the time we're, we're participating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, and sort of keeping in mind that that is, constant work to be aware of things and like how much time they take you know the kinds of conversations you have with yourself you're like it's only five minutes worth of work just do it and like you know it'll be it'll feel better or whatever you know I have a lot of like even little things which feel so dumb like (laughs) like taking um you know like fish oil pills every day I'm like it's supposed to help your heart it doesn't take that much work just don't be an asshole like take the <laughs> just do it you know <laughs> yeah you know like there's so many little things like that that I have to like constantly converse with myself like you know don't be lazy or whatever mm-hmm. um so I think it's nice to like have that reminder that it is work to pay attention to how you're spending your time and how you're spending your energy too so I appreciate that sort of framework to it that you have yeah, and there's definitely like with with gardening. So I've never had like a backyard garden. I've lived in New York City for most of my adult life. But um, <laughs> at one point, I had 
plants uh, like like herbs um on my windowsill and just that like very little thing of like growing herbs in a in pots <laughs> like made me pay attention in a different way um and you know try to figure out the sun and what goes together and all of that i mean you know we've we've had um one of our season one guests, uh, Rachel Economy, who is also a friend, um, she she talks a lot about gardening and, um, you know, what the plants kind of tell you and the sort of ec- ecology around, um, you know, like the, the bugs that help and harm and what to plant to, you know, like they, it's all like relationship. Um, mm-hmm. And so... In all of that, um, like with with thinking about in your book, you talk about like relation, like relating and relationships, and like the world, and <laughs> it's, it's a lot. Of, it covers a lot of things. Um, yeah. Who who is your ideal reader? Like, who do you want to to pick up the book, pick up co- cognitive liberty, and like what what do you want them to get out of it? I think um, any college student, for Mm -hmm. sure, just because it explores so many different avenues of ways of thinking about ourselves and our orientation in the world. And likewise, I think anybody, any, I mean, we're all lifelong students, for sure. So I think anyone interested in kind of just taking a moment to reflect on really any, all these things that we've been talking about you know, in the context that suits them, what resonates for them, you know, um, whether um, people have kids or, you know, take care of, you know, their dog or what have you, or they're, you know, they're in a job that they just, they don't really care for, but there's this other thing that really is speaking to them, whatever it may be. Um, I think the ideal um audience would be just anybody who's interested in exploring consciousness because that is really the common thread of of this thing it's the idea that yeah we just wherever you go there you are Mm. (laughs) put a plug out there for a nice uh book book that i read recently it's a good one but what book is that that's uh where uh wherever you go uh there you are um, mm-hmm. and oh shoot, I'm blanking on the reader, but if you Google that, that's, gonna, that's yeah, a fantastic gonna... book. Yeah. Yeah. Just an excellent, um, researcher who, um, spent a lot of time and I think it was like, um, somewhere in the East, basically studying meditation and just, you know, breaking down what meditation is. And just, I think there's, there's a certain, anyone who's interested in, um, mindfulness would be able to heed a lot of this work that I've put out there. Yeah, because um, it's all super relative to, you know, where we're at in our lives. Well, speaking of all this work that you're putting out there, um, you're a member of the Vermont Beekeepers Association, which feels like sort of the odd man out in your bio. I mean, <laughs> that's, <laughs> you know, so how did you get involved with that? And what sorts of initiatives does that association foster yeah that is um that's one that i 
I just take a lot of pride in being part of that, being part of those conversations, because we're we look at as an association, we look at some of the research that's going on um, in other parts of the nation specifically. I don't think we've gone so far as to go outside. Well, some European research has crossed our um, agenda items and so forth, but um I I actually got more curious in joining the uh, Vermont Beekeepers Association to see what what it is that uh, this group was paying attention to, because one of the things that I got really fascinated with in my research um, during my time, actually, my uh, when I was rehabilitating from the concussion was Paul Stamets work, um, who's an amateur mycologist, uh, kind of world renowned um, mushroom guy expert on mushroom mycelium. He wrote several books. Um, he's great. And one of the amazing discoveries he made was um, how mushroom mycelium can help uh, honeybees. Hmm. And so I was really curious in terms of, I should probably just throw out, like state that um, worldwide or uh, colony collapse disorder, primarily actually in um, areas in North America, um, are becoming a huge threat to our food bio, uh, uh, food biosecurity in terms of you know losing all these pollinators, and there's a big debate about what it is, um, but essentially colony collapse disorder is just a kind of a a a go to buzz term that means like we don't really know what's going on. Um, right. Bees are just kind of dying off, uh, and Stamets um, he looks at it from like from the uh, mushroom mycelium standpoint of like these antiviral uh, constituents, antiviral, anti-cancer constituents, antibacterial, so forth and so like different mushrooms have different uh, medicinal properties. But I wanted to join the Beekeepers Association to, to ask those questions and be like, guys, are we, are we paying attention to this? Cause uh, this seems really relevant. Um, and, and if it doesn't do it with bees harm, why not? Why not? Yeah. Why not explore this further? Um, so that's mostly been my participation. I'm the guy who's like, you know, kind of blowing the whistle on some of these things that, uh, even though we're we're paying, they're paying attention to a lot of really important stuff. But I think that they we definitely could be taking that more seriously. Um, yeah, <laughs> these hippies and their mushrooms wanting to you know feed them to our bees. No, thank you. It's like well, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> Let's let's look at the research. Let's actually see. Yeah. Yeah. Do but, you have uh, your mushrooms near your apiary? Like, um, have, have you sort of explored this for yourself? I have actually. There's good evidence to suggest that uh, that actually uh, is out there that is uh, statistically significant results that the reishi mushroom and the uh, amadou mushroom. Uh, Latin uh, name is Fomis fomentarius, and it, it's like a uh, it's a birch conch that's like this white, like almost like Hershey's Kiss that looks like it's growing. If you ever see it in the forest or in the wild, that's that's Amadou, and I think one form of it is black, the other's white. The only one I know is the um, the white version that has been clinically tested to as a potent antiviral for honeybees. Um, yeah, ten thousand to one uh, with positive results against the deformed wing virus. 
and the lake cyanide virus, I think, in honeybees. Um, don't quote me on that, but um, Stamets. <laughs> Stamets is, he has all this research um, and he's published in um, the scientific journal Nature. So it's, yeah. it's, people can look it up if they want to. But um, Reishi and Amadou are ones that are proven. And I actually just, I do a chaga tea uh, when I do my syrup, my feeding, one to one and two to one ratios, depending on the season. Okay. Um, yeah, two to one ratios in the fall, but I'll make like a chaga tea and then I'll add some reishi extract in there, just like a few droppers. Mm -hmm. um, just why not? Right. I mean, it doesn't do any harm. So it's like it doesn't appear to be anyhow. I mean, I've only been I'm still new at this, but I overwintered my first of two hives um, and it seemed to work out really well. So I'm going to keep keep doing it and see i mean they 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 seem to be responding really really well to it so that's cool. I, yeah i think you're our first beekeeper that i've interviewed <laughs> so, mm -hmm. and so yeah it's uh it, it this is all like very new to me um like learning about the ecology of bees <laughs> no that's awesome yeah i love that well great is there Sam, is there anything that you have? Well, as a bit of a closer, did we talk about um, some of your favorite inclusion initiatives and, and what those look like? That seems like a nice note to end on if we mm. haven't talked about that already. Mm. Yeah. Um, as far as uh, um, working with individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities, um, we as a state in Vermont, um, take a lot of pride in the person-centered approach um, when working with individuals, um, regardless of what they have, really. Um, in our program specifically, it's it's really anything that fits that bill. So it's, it's you know, making sure that not only their human rights um, are being, you know, widely thought of and addressed, um, or at the very least not stripped from from them. Um, but essentially, we have folks in contracted uh, developmental homes, so home providers, because it's like, you know, being in the year 2022, we don't have institutions anymore. Um, so it's like people live at home and they're, they're included in whatever it is that the, those households are doing. Mm -hmm. um, and those are the main uh, drivers, just as a, again, just as a philosophy of the person centered piece, like if they want to join them at the dinner table, they're, they're welcome to kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if they have a job that they really want, like, what can we do to help kind of, mm -hmm. um, help them through that process? Um, but they have to kind of be engaged as well. You know, we don't just do these things for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why I like this term person centered, because it really puts, it gives them their empowerment back yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Just like the rest of us. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thanks for talking to us today. This was all really fascinating. Yeah. And I love how many different jars you have your hand in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed this. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, yeah, Chris. I'm thinking of, um, the, an episode that came out fairly recently uh, 
was with Matt Mulligan, who I interviewed last year, who's also Vermont based and does, um, I think on the psychology side, um, works with people with learning disabilities. I'm not sure. Um, don't quote me on that, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, I, I want to like get you guys together (laughs) At some oh, point, um, and he wrote a children's book called "Tomatoes and Peppers," which is which I actually purchased, and so <laughs> it's in my house. Um, but it, it it was a metaphor for learning difference, um, and yeah, is yeah. I think you That's guys awesome. would get along. So yeah, obviously he was a Goddard grad. <laughs> so. Oh, that's great. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it's 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 really cool to see like all the work that you're doing and to meet you and uh, good luck with the book. We'll be promoting it, uh, Cognitive Liberty. Where can people purchase? Mm. Well, the best way to go, in my opinion, is um, bookshop.org. If anyone wants to go there to buy any book um, and just keyword search, um, Cognitive Liberty um, should be on there. Um, otherwise, you know, anywhere where you can buy a book, major retailers. But I like to um, throw out bookshop.org to help indie booksellers. Great. Do you have, if someone, I, I've purchased on bookshop.org and you can um, support a particular bookstore uh, when when you do that, your online purchase. Do you have a particular bookstore if someone hasn't picked pick their favorite bookstore yet do you have one that you want to plug oh it's so hard to pick one um <laughs> bear pond books in montpelier is great uh big shout out bridgeside bridgeside books in waterbury um is great uh my book is actually in their brick and mortar uh locations also phoenix books in uh burlington if anyone's in the area Perfect. Cool. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's great for uh, Goddard. But I mean, Goddard students also, <laughs> like when they're when they're coming into Goddard, uh, go support these indie bookstores in person as well. That'd be great. Yeah, and I plan to have the book. Um, I'm going to get a copy into the library and in the bookstore as well. Fantastic. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Take care. This podcast is a project of Goddard Alumni Association. It is produced, hosted, and edited by Sam Rebeline and Amanda Faye Laxon. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast or would like more information, please visit goddardalumni.com slash podcast. And please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. See you next time.